a listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us each week as we break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr. Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Tannock. I'm a journalist. And Keith, today we're talking about something that's reared its ugly head again since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and that's the threat of nuclear weapons. Now, in particular, we're discussing comments made by a former White House advisor who has claimed that every country in the world is going to want nuclear weapons now that Putin has demonstrated that the threat of going nuclear is a way to defend yourself and fend off your enemies. Now, first of all, who is this advisor who made the statement and do you agree with that sentiment? So the advisor is Dr Fiona Hill, who has, as the media would say, an interesting backstory. So she was born in the north of England, very poor family, was bright enough to get an interview at Oxford. So at Oxford University, you not only need to have good grades, they also have to interview you to make sure you can fit in. And during the interview the Oxford person just simply said blunt to her, you won't fit in here. You're from the north of England. You're wearing old clothes, which her mother made because there was no money in the family. Uh, It was an incredible put down. And so Fiona Hill never got into Oxford. She um, went to study at St Andrews in Scotland, which has also got a good Russian studies program, Uh, became an intern in Moscow. Americans saw how smart she was, so said, why don't you apply for a, a position at Harvard? do a PhD at Harvard, which she did. And then she just met her husband in the United States and has just stayed on in the United States. And Oxford is incredibly embarrassed about Fiona Hill because Oxford is trying to give the impression of being politically correct and inclusive and all the rest of it. And yet Fiona Hill would say, well, if you're from the north of England, you're not welcome. So Fiona Hill, for me, is is marvellous partly because she's revealed the snobbery of Oxford, which they deny exists, but clearly was still flourishing 30 years ago when she was being interviewed. And she's also reaffirmed that America is a land of opportunity. When I went to live there in, in 1970, I was just amazed at how much opportunity there was in the US compared with the UK. And she, decades later, came across that same experience, which is why there's always an element of latent pro-Americanism within me. I don't like the government, but I do like it the fact that it's a land of opportunity. And I think she's of the same uh, mindset. And, of course, she came to prominence uh, because she was working for the US government for a number of um, uh, presidents, and one of them was Donald Trump. And because she's a fluent Russian speaker, uh, was sitting in on the meetings that Trump was having with Ukrainian leaders. And she was very concerned about how pro-Russian he was. So she actually was called as a witness during the first impeachment trial of Donald Trump. And then Americans got to hear this very strange North of England accent, very different from the usual Hollywood English accents Mm. that you get. So that's Fiona Hill. Now, she has come to prominence because, as you say, she's warning that Putin has shown the value of having nuclear weapons and that other countries will also want to have them. She's not a person who's in favour of that happening, but like myself, she's what's called a, a, a realist. So in international relations, you get people who are idealists, and you get the realists. So the idealists are always the people who want to speak highly of everybody and, and uh, think uh, leaders behave rationally. Therefore, you go into deals to import a lot of your energy from one country, which is what the Germans have done with the Russians, etc. That's the idealist approach. 
On the other hand, if you are a realist, you take the view that leaders are corrupt, they're unstable, they're unreliable, and the world is still a very unpleasant place. And then Fiona Hill and I have that same sort of mindset that uh, you just can't trust leaders. And what she is doing, I think, is issuing a very good warning that Putin has shown the value of having nuclear weapons. Because if Russia did not have nuclear weapons, by now NATO would be on a head-on collision with Russia. But because Russia has nuclear weapons, Biden and the other NATO leaders want to avoid a head-on collision. And she is saying, look, the lesson of all of Ukraine, one of the lessons is simply that other countries will want to acquire nuclear weapons. Ironically, this is where I began my international relations career. I'm a bit older than Fiona Hill. And half a century or more, I was talking about the spread of nuclear weapons. And in the 1960s, we used to speculate that by the year 2000, which seemed an awfully long way away at that time, there would be possibly at least 30 or 40 nuclear weapon countries, including Canada, Sweden, and Australia. I was at that time still living in England, had no idea I'd end up here. And that did not happen because of what is called the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, NPT. The Amer- you can tell it's an American uh, idea because the Americans never use a short word where a long word will do. So <laughs> proliferation means spread for ordinary human beings. So it, this was a treaty that was set up with two lots of commitments. One was that if you have nuclear weapons, you agree to reduce your nuclear weapons. And if uh, you don't have nuclear weapons, you promise not to acquire them. So Australia has signed up to the MPT, so we have promised not to acquire nuclear weapons, which means the Indonesians are also covered because they feel assured that we haven't got them. So it has a sort of knock-on effect. It's actually been a reasonably successful treaty as international law goes. Uh, she's now warning, and I think she's correct to issue this warning, that that MPT regime, as it's called, is now under threat because other countries, like North Korea, have seen the writing on the wall, and if you don't have nuclear weapons, you're going to be subject to bullying or invasion by the Americans like Iraq in 2003. On the other hand, North Korea is now a nuclear weapon country and will not be attacked by the United States. So if, if, if you think you're going to take up an aggressive foreign policy, acquire nuclear weapons. So when we look globally, when it comes to nuclear weapons, what countries do have them? And if her statement is true, who's likely to want them or want more of them? Well, the, the big two are the United States and Russia. So they have between them probably around 95% of the world's nuclear weapons. So they're the two big ones. But then you have the, the smaller ones like the United Kingdom, France, India, Pakistan, Israel, and now, of course, North Korea. So we're still talking about a number far less than what some of us were predicting back in the 1960s before the NPT came along. Uh, So that has actually been a sign of progress in international politics. But Dr. Hill is warning that that era may be coming to an end simply because countries will learn the lesson. Libya, by the way, was another country that acquired nuclear weapons, gave them up when they tried to improve relations with the West, and then ended up with the West destroying Libya. Uh, Yet another lesson that uh, if you want to safeguard your national security, you acquire nuclear weapons. Now, this is not going to happen tomorrow, but I think that there will be debates in countries, including possibly even going back to Australia. You know, there was a debate in this country that we ought to be developing nuclear weapons. After all, we're the Saudi Arabia of uranium. We're sitting on so much of the stuff. Uh, Why not use some of it for nuclear power? 
and use some of it for nuclear weapons. Now, when we signed up to the NPT, we agreed that we would not acquire nuclear weapons. Uh, but there was a move in the 1960s for Australia to acquire nuclear weapons. So even here in Australia, uh, there was a demand at that time. And that may now return if you see other countries acquiring nuclear weapons. Obviously, in the case of North Korea, you might have a knock-on effect with Japan and also South Korea. And people will say, look, we've got to have our own nuclear weapons. So we will end up with localised arms races. So do you think then, as Hill has suggested, the world is now more dangerous than during the Cold War? I mean, is the threat of nuclear war now far greater than it was back then? There's always been a a danger of nuclear war because nuclear war not only starts because of a deliberate uh, decision by one leader against another, which is where we were with the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962, but can also start because people get radar signals wrong, etc. We've had a number of, of close calls. For me, it's amazing that we're still here. That's how grim the situation is, that I'm amazed that humans have been out of the last over 70 years with nuclear weapons. We've had them used twice in war, which is Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945, uh, but never used subsequent to that. And we have a policy of what's called mutual assured destruction, MAD. The Americans have a macabre sense of humor. So mutual assured destruction means that I won't use my nuclear weapons if you won't use yours, because if I use them, you'll retaliate and we'll end up mutually assured dead. Quite the standoff, isn't it? (laughs) It is a standoff. Now, see, the morning we were recording this uh, podcast, we've had a Moscow spokesperson talking about a nuclear tsunami. He says the Russians should launch a warning strike in the um, waters off the west of Ireland. I'm I've suggested it be in the North Sea, but the suggestion this morning is that it's the other side of the UK. So it'll be a wave of water that would flow, a radioactive water, that would flow across Ireland and go into England. Now, under the doctrine of mutual assured destruction, Britain will need to destroy Moscow because if you don't retaliate, you've lost credibility with your weapons. This is the irony of nuclear weapons. And so that's the risk that we now run this what's called a warning shot across the bows. So if you want a ship to, to slow down, you fire across the bows to slow it down. Now, the equivalent of that would be a strike not on the United States, which is what we, the, the risk was in the Cold War, but to attack an American ally. So during the Cold War, um, I wrote a book speculating that Australia would be a nuclear target because we are the messenger of death. At Pine Gap in Central Australia, we have one of the most important American intelligence facilities in the world, and that has continued. You know, we used to listen to Bin Laden speak to his mother. We listened in on his phone conversations from Pine Gap. So it's still very important for intelligence. So if you were wanting to send a warning shot across the bowels of the United States, the obvious thing to do would be to blow up Pine Gap. Most Australians wouldn't know the significance of Pine Gap. Certainly most Americans would never even heard of it, but it it would have been that warning shot. Now, what we're looking at in this morning's news is this spokesperson on behalf of the Russian government saying that they will launch a nuclear tsunami across Ireland and which will then also affect England as well. And so the British will have to retaliate for the credibility of nuclear deterrence to be maintained. If you don't retaliate and destroy Russia in some way, even Britain with its small number of nuclear weapons could certainly destroy Moscow 
and uh, and Petersburg, Petrograd, Leningrad, whatever you want to call the city, and that'll be sufficient. Uh, so that that means we're we're looking basically at World War Three. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. I'm Sasha Tannock, and Keith, today we're talking about nuclear weapons. Now, while Putin's nuclear threats certainly appear to have the world's attention and have escalated in recent weeks, and as you mentioned this morning, is he exaggerating the threat Russia poses? So say in a worst-case scenario things did go nuclear, obviously the result would be catastrophic, but is Russia likely to survive a nuclear war or is NATO's three nuclear powers, US, Britain and France, more likely to be able to overpower Russia? Obviously, there would be catastrophic effects, but is Russia going to win if Nobody things went there? Nobody wins a nuclear war. Remember, Ronald Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev said that a nuclear war can never be won and should never be fought. That was the that was when we signalled the end of the Cold War with that statement from Reagan and Gorbachev. A nuclear war can never be won and should never be fought. So no one's going to win that nuclear exchange. Uh, the uh, the question will be, well, how much of human life will be left? The planet is safe. You can't destroy the planet. It's just too big. You can't destroy the planet. What you can do is to make life unbearable for the creatures who live on the surface of the planet. That includes humans. Mind you, we don't have to worry too much because our replacements already exist. In 1978, we found three-foot-long giant worms crawling along the bottom of the seabed. So they don't breathe because there's no air down there. They're blind because there's no sunlight down there. And I think in the fullness of time, they perhaps might want to evolve into new life forms to come up to the surface. It's a whole other topic of conversation, It's a whole new topic. It? <laughs> and back in 1978, we came across that. So, uh, you know, when people say we would destroy the planet, that's an exaggeration. We will destroy the surface life. We will make surface life uninhabitable. And as they say, the uh, living will envy the dead because at least the dead are no longer around to suffer. So if there were that that type of nuclear exchange, remember I've been talking about this for decades, right, mm-hmm. and it goes in and out of fashion. And so, Sasha, you have re-entered my life with nuclear weapons, right? <laughs> so and then I think in a few years' time, assuming we escape somehow from this Ukrainian crisis, the nuclear weapon issue will disappear, but nuclear weapons will remain. Mm. Every era from 1945 onwards will be the nuclear era until we come across an even more dangerous weapon system. You know, it's a bit like uh, there was a bow and arrow era, right, 600, 700 years ago, but we no longer worry about bows and arrows because then we've invented gunpowder, now we've invented nuclear weapons. So every year from 1945 onwards is a nuclear year, and that's the risk that we do run. And so there is this risk of a deliberate all-out war or there's a risk of accidental warfare. As I say, I'm amazed we're still here after all this time. So if we go back to these escalating tensions with Putin test launching his Satan 2 missile, what's really going on here? Is it Putin threatening the rest of the world just to deter Western support for Ukraine? I mean, essentially, is it posturing just to make sure we don't, you know, retaliate for his invasion of Ukraine? Um, Well, and he's certainly successful, Mm. right? Uh, The Russians are not confronting NATO at the moment. NATO and other countries like Australia are sending military equipment in, but they're avoiding the straight head-on deployment of troops. There is a risk that the Ukraine conflict will drag on. Remember, it's technically been underway for eight years, and so it could drag on for a few more years. And the term that is used is a frozen conflict. 
In other words, it, it will just continue to bubble along. And there are a number of frozen conflicts in the old Soviet empire. And that's the worry that um, the president of Ukraine has got, that somehow the rest of the world will get bored with hearing about Ukraine and uh, Russia will just solidify its control over the eastern end of Ukraine and some of the southern part, perhaps the port of Odessa. Um, and, and we will just accept that we've now got a new Korean-type situation where you've got one government in one part of a country and a different type of government in the same country but in a different part. And so that may well be the fear that Zelensky has got, that there will be a new North Korea, so to speak, at the eastern end of, of his country, unless, of course, this deadlock somehow could be broken, which is why you know, I'm hoping that someone's going to shoot Putin. Mm. Well, to that point, this former White House advisor, Kate Hill, believes that we'll need robust diplomacy to navigate this period. What sort of measures do world leaders need to look at to prevent things from escalating? I mean, if we knew the answer to that, we could <laughs> solve the world's problems, <laughs> could we? That's but, exactly but, um, it. But what does she mean by that? Well, she doesn't explain. That's the problem. Yeah. You're quite right. You picked up the right expression that she's used uh, where she talks about, so we're back in a whole new territory that we haven't been in even during the Cold War, and this requires really robust diplomacy, but she doesn't set out what that would require. I think given her position she would mean you stand up to Putin rather than try to do deals with him, which is what Trump was trying to do, which is why she fell out with Trump. But other than that, just standing up to Putin, and I, I, she would obviously be a supporter of the American actions to defend Ukraine, but she's not offering us a way out of what, what this robust diplomacy is going to be. What about the notion of effective nuclear deterrence? Can you explain that term and does that apply in this situation? Yes, it does, because uh, nuclear deterrence is based, as we've said, on mutual assured destruction. Now, the Americans, again, this is a macabre sense of humour from the Pentagon, we've moved from mad to nuts. So <laughs> mad is mutual assured destruction, right? Nuts is nuclear use and tactics. So with Fascinating nuts, acronym. <laughs> the, oh, the Americans are great when it comes to macabre acronyms. So nuts would be where you develop small nuclear weapons which you can use in limited situations. So the old idea of mutual assured destruction, as suggested, is that everybody gets killed. Nuclear use and tactics is where you develop smaller, more agile nuclear weapons which you can then use selectively without triggering World War Three, such as the threat that we've had this morning from Moscow to let one weapon off to the west of Ireland, which would create a tidal wave going across Ireland and the United Kingdom. So that would be nuclear use and tactics, and that's a new era in, in which we're involved. Now, you're, you're talking about the um, Sarmat weapon, which the Russians have developed. So this is a long-range weapon which you would use for mutual assured destruction. But the Russians are also developing these uh, smaller-scale uh, nuclear weapons, which you could use theoretically, in a limited conflict. The real issue is always, could a limited nuclear war remain limited? Remember, this is where we were back in the 1970s when the Americans had planned on a limited nuclear war in Europe, which would destroy much of Europe, all of the Soviet Union, and 10% of the United States. So I was, when I was in the United States um, in 1982, for example, the American Postal Service had to explain how the mail would still get through in the event of a nuclear war. So this was how America was gearing up to fight a so-called limited nuclear war. A number of us at the time said there will never be a limited nuclear war. That's not how it goes. And, of course, three years later, Ronald Reagan said a nuclear war should never be 
uh, fought. But that was the thinking at one point, that we go from mad to nuts. Yes, well, all definitely things to consider as we watch this war unfold, but I think the whole world will agree that uh, Putin would be mad and nuts to uh, follow through with his nuclear threat, so let's all hope that doesn't happen. Thank Keith, you. another fascinating <laughs> chat. Look forward to our chat next week. Thank you. Listener.